Thank you, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is my last night, so I would love to sing a song for you that is very close to my heart. Finally getting to an affair to remember is like reading the book of the movie that you've always known, but you didn't know that the movie was actually based on this book that your grandfather owns. And he's like, Treasure Island, do you like the movie? Oh, did you know that it was a book first? It's a great book. And he slaps it down in your sweaty little 13-year-old's hands and he says, read this, you'll love it. And, you know, it is great. It's a little bit slower. There's not a lot of action per se jumping off the page, but actually, you know, it's a thrilling adventure tale. That's how I feel about this, where I grew up watching Sleepless in Seattle, and, you know, this movie was referenced 24-7. But when you go back to it, it's, you know, it almost feels like a different medium, when really it's just what was one of the, like, progenitors of this movie, but it it's slow, and it's paced, and it's methodical, and yeah, it's of a different era, but really, when you get past the veneer of the, you know, staginess of the cinematography, it is, simply put, a very good love story. And, I don't know, I'm, I'm really glad to have gone back and unearthed this piece of history that I've seen referenced and referenced in newer films. Welcome, everybody, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. I'm your intrepid host, Ryan Graves, and I'm joined by my best friend of the whole wide world. Kelly Song. Um, I am... I am... Am I an intrepid host? Yeah, I'm intrepid as well. Like, call me intrepid. Call me intrepid. Can I confess something? Call me Ishmael. What? Yeah, go ahead. I don't know what intrepid means. I think it means... Full of optimism and adventure. Look I don't think anyone knows what it means. How is that possible? It's just a people word that we all they, like to the, use. People who write dictionaries most assuredly know. Um, Intrepid Tile is a company that does marble and Ooh. granite. That's that's probably what it is. Okay, I said optimistic and adventurous. It means invulnerable to fear or intimidation. Audacious, brave, dauntless, fearless, hardy, unfearing. I take it back. I am not your intrepid leader. Um, I am just some guy. You're the cautious leader. (laughs) I take two steps forward, one step back everywhere I go. I'll be the intrepid leader. Which leader do you want to be? Um, I'll be the um, quasi-intrepid leader. Like I'm. (laughs) That's not a thing. Sure, it is. (laughs) No, that's like saying quasi-perfect. Quasimodo. No, that's the thing. Can I be? You you want to be the Quasimodo? Can I be the Quasimodo of the of the of the podcast? Yeah. Ryan, you are the Quasimodo of the podcast. It's agreed. A gentleman's agreement. <laughs> what a bad you know, clink. Uh, that was a that was a metal water bottle <laughs> and a glass cup. Well, at least we're hydrating. I think today we're gonna mix things up a little bit, just in format, in structure. We're gonna do letters right up front. Hot damn. Hey Flo! Huh? Mail come. Got mail for you. Oh, Pete, you've got mail. You sent me a letter. You've got mail. I don't know if we got any other letters, but we got this one letter from Kurt, who you want to call Kirk because of Gilmore Girls? Oh, yeah. Okay, so Kirk says, <clears throat> he just sent an email. These were uh, four words. No, f- six, f- five words. <laughs> Kirk, Kirk sent five words. 
Um, good podcast. Why no catchphrases? And Ryan, I just want to know how that bounces off you. I I just hear it in Kirk's voice of like, he's in Luke Steiner and he's like, good omelets, no ham. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's it. It's like we're missing the ham. I, I, want, I think, you know what I want is um, somebody to run a Yelp review uh, profile, but it's just called Kirk Reviews. <laughs> Welcome to Kirk's. I'll be right with you. Great sushi, a little raw. <laughs> <laughs> is there, let's see if there's a catch phrase generator. Okay. Because if not, I feel like this episode should be us um, maybe calling out something the other one says and saying, that's your new catchphrase. Oh, okay. So I went to a free slogan maker. Okay. And <laughs> whoa. Okay. So the first one is romance is the word. Use it in a sentence. A spelling be rules. Um, it, with a gentleman's guide to rom-coms. Romance is the word. Ooh, okay, right? I like, like it. that's a that's a nice little pitch for you, huh? Yeah. Um, highlight a random one for me, and I'll and just turn your screen towards me, and I'll do that one. <clears throat> come on down to the gentleman's bra. <laughs> 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 I got come, come come on down to the come on down to Dick's Sporting Goods and break through with romance. Oh, break through with romance. Breakthrough with romance, Ryan. That's that's more a tagline. This is less a Ryan, catchphrase do, and more a tagline. Do, do you have a problem? I got a problem. Just tell me in short words what your problem is. Um, my toenail is broken. Well, breakthrough with romance. Oh, actually, wait. That's, love does is that the mean answer. romance is breaking through your toe? I think. I mean, love is the answer. Love is the answer. Romance is the word. Okay. Well. Obviously, slogans are not our thing, and really, it's a catchphrase we're looking for. Yeah, we're so. looking for catchphrases. I just say throughout the episode... We'll look if, for catchphrases. If you want to look my way for catchphrases, because we're sitting, we're doing a little different these days. Ryan's rearranged his office, and there's a desk between us. There's something between us, Ryan, that we have to talk about, and it's this desk. Well, I heard that you can break through with romance, so let's not let this desk get in the way. Hiya! <laughs> Uh, it'll come, uh, Kool-Aid. What's the, what's that guy's name? Mr. Kool-Aid? The Kool-Aid man. The Kool-Aid man style. Mr. Kool-Aid was his father. <laughs> uh, well, let's find that catchphrase and maybe we'll, uh, we'll find it under this uh, story I'm going to tell you. Oh, I don't know. I get to tell the story. Fine. Tell, tell me a story. Tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Probably quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter, and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean, that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. We're on a boat. It's 1957. Cary Grant is a playboy. He's the playboy. How do we know this? Because it tells us. Because he's the one who originally wrote the Barney Stinson book <laughs> on hitting on people. Because the script told us. Yeah. So what we got is Cary Grant, and he's sailing the high seas. Maybe the Mediterranean is where he's at at the moment. And we get through whatever the opposite of breakneck is, a series of newscasters in different countries telling the story of, what is his name? I, I don't have IMDb in front of me. Nicoli, Nicolai. Nicky Ferranti. Nicky Ferranti. And he's a man about town. He's kind of a um, catcher block type. Ladies man, man's man, man about town. <laughs> well, he is a total player. Yeah. Total player. Like the movie lays it on thick that he is 
the playboy to end all playboys. Well, he he is, but he's also got class because he's Cary Grant. And so immediately we're on board with him. Yeah. But we get that he's settling down. It's the catch of the season. He's marrying some heiress who's super foxy, apparently. Um, Lois Clark. Right. Which is which what is, would happen if Lois Lane ma- married Superman. You, you gotta know that uh, <laughs> the writers of this movie were like, hey, how are we going to come up with this dame's name? Uh, obviously, let's just combine these two characters. Look at Detective Comics number They're one. Like, we're, we're going to uh, presuppose... The TNT original show. Exactly. Years ahead of time. Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark? Lois and Clark. Lois and Clark. I mean, maybe they got it from Lewis and Clark, but Lois and Clark, they watched an affair, remember, they're like, that's a great idea. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah, they're big fans. (laughs) Well, that whole show was a romance, so. Or maybe they were watching Sleepless in Seattle. And they were watching the characters in Sleepless in Seattle watching Affair Remember. I don't think that they mentioned Lois and Clark's name. Or Lois Clark's name. Oh, in no, that made... Seattle. They're like, what is this movie? And if I remember, they have to check <laughs> it out. Then they go back and watch it. Um, so he's getting married, and everybody around the world, or at least in Italy, the UK, and the US, all the countries that apparently matter, That was a great this. intro montage. We get newscasters tell us the story of Cary Grant has bagged this rich lady, it's, and it's so wonderful. It, it is it. I love it. I was I was cackling the whole time. I, I thought, thought it, it's I thought it was funny as well, but it was it was of a pace which this whole movie is of a pace. Yeah. Where it really takes its time. Mm-hmm. And not in a way that I mind for the rest of the movie, but this intro I was just like, especially when we got to the Italian guy, I was like, I get the joke. He's saying the same thing in Italian. Mm-hmm. But like it felt like it lasted for a minute, and I was like, I don't need to see his whole segment. Oh, really? I loved it. Okay. Well, regardless, he's on a boat, and he's just schmarming around when he sees Deborah Kerr. Cary Grant and Deborah Carr. Is a car a Kerr? Kerr. Car. Okay. And she's carrying his cigarette case, and he's like, hey, you, thief. <laughs> but not really. He's just like, hey, that's my cigarette case. Call the boat detective. And it's got like a like a lewd suggestion on the inside, or as lewd as you can be in the fifties, where yeah. it's like, "Thanks for spending a couple of days on Elizabeth," and it's like Elizabeth's a boat, but also mm. I was also in Elizabeth too. Yeah, uh, whoever gave him the the <laughs> case, and we also he he whoever gave him the case also calls him when she finds out that he's engaged, and it's like, "You <laughs> son of a bitch!" And he's but like, in French, it was a very French deja vuish kind of thing. We oui. oui. <laughs> and he's like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> this connection it's terrible it's the original he pulls the original i'm going through a tunnel yeah it's pretty good it's and it's cary grant doing it and it's super charming yeah yeah i'm i'm 100 percent on board with him being a a, a cad yeah yeah you can call him a lech yeah is he a, he's he's a little lech at the beginning i feel like if you're a lech you're pretty gross and there's just something about cary grant i can't see as being gross it's um it's the, if Sarah was watching the first ten minutes, she would say "gross" to some things that he'd be saying. She would stop saying it after a while. But the we wh- who we meet in the first ten minutes is a dude with game because he, does he have game. he's like he gets into Deborah Kerr's Kerr. uh, suite, her little yeah, they her have, little room. They have a little like it's a flirtation. But she knows what she's doing. And he's laying it on thick. He's got all these lines, and she sees right through it, and she she calls him on his shit. Yeah, hold on a second, though, because she does see right through his lines, but she's not not there for it. She's enjoying it. Oh, she's enjoying it. 100% as well. She's above it. 
like she's not being swayed by his game and she's just kind of watching it. I think I think if Deborah Kerr, Kerr. was not entangled with somebody else, she would a hundred percent not necessarily be swayed by the game, but she'd go along with the game. She'd go fun. yeah, she would go along with it, but she's not the person to be moved by game. She wouldn't be smashed by the wave, she'd be riding it like a surfboard. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what she the dialogue between them is so wonderful. It's and great. she she has this kind of like admirable I don't know, dominance or just like she really holds her own with a a very sophisticated like she's Cary Grant. she's noble. She she carries a bit of nobility with her. Yeah. Um but she's sharp too. And we find out she's been dating this Bellamy for um uh, <laughs> who looks just like Bill he Pullman. Re- he really does. He looks like if you combined Ralph Bellamy and Bill Pullman <laughs> in, in like one of those AI machines. Yeah. So but she's been dating him for a while and we kind of get that she's been she was this girl who was like they they start a flirtation she's like i'm not gonna sleep with you but this movie for 1957 oh it pushes it I, like i i feel like the 50s were a lot more sexy than we give them credit for because we watched the apartment as well and that's also got like a lot of implied sex yeah the apartment was in a time where that was by the 60s and the 60s they really started to push the envelope in the 50s they were like Right against the envelope. They were like sitting on the envelope, but they hadn't pushed it quite yet. And like, I feel like Breakfast at Tiffany's also is like maybe the one that brings us into the 60s and we're getting, which this is really close. Yeah, because he's, he's very heavily implying, hey, we can have some fun. I'm super bored. And she's like, oh, that would be nice to have fun. But But nah. nah. And so he's entangled and she's entangled, but he's really famous. And so... They're having all these conversations and this, uh, like, stock reporter that's taking photos on the boat. He's the like, boat photographer. Right. Like, he's the guy at Disneyland who walks up and he takes your picture and he's like, so if you want these, they'll be $100. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and he ends up selling all the photos at the end. So it's like, uh, yeah, I get it. There I wasn't guess. really consequences from that. No. No, I thought there would be. Yeah, so, I thought that would be the big thing when they got off the boat. They're avoiding him this whole time while they're just kind of learning more about each other. And it's obvious and they're very upfront that they're both attracted to each other. Mm-hmm. But they know that it would be bad for them to be seen together just because of what it would imply, even if they don't commit any sins against their significant others. Yeah. And There's it seems a decorum like, for the boat. It seems like that's something that he'd be more than willing to do, though. To what? Commit sins against his significant. Oh, he's... <laughs> I mean, he's... But he's he's a gentleman, too, so he can't. I, I mean... I don't think... I think... You don't think he was going to sleep with Deborah Carr? Is a car a curse? Oh, he would be, but he would still be discreet about it. <laughs> oh, for sure. He'd be discreet about that's it. That's what I mean. I don't think he'd flaunt any wrongdoings. No, but also after meeting his lady later... I'm like, I feel like she's down to clown with yeah, she'd come who along. he is. <laughs> yeah. So they just have like a bunch of misadventures on the boat where they're like trying to avoid each other, but they keep jumping into pools together or having mm-hmm. dinner right next to each other. And slowly the whole boat is like, you guys can be together. It's cool. We're good with it. We're cool. And there's... There's also this weird guy with his sister and his wife there who's always like, Cary Grant, I want to talk to you. And we don't know why. He just wants to associate with Well, him. it's weird because Nicky Ferrante seems to be the celebrity. Right. But how and why? He's the Kim Kardashian of his day. Is he like, the original celebrity? He's just one of those people who are famous because they're famous. Right. Because he seems to have a rich grandma. Yeah. But he... 
he doesn't seem to be rich on his it's own. It's like Philadelphia story. He's just high society because he's high society. Right, but he's not rich because we see later. No, I think his family's rich. Yes, but he doesn't have that money because as we see later, he has a tiny apartment. Yeah, I I don't know what it, I think he's basically society hopping and has just been going from lady to lady in high society. And, and being just, taken care of. Yeah, and he's been basically a male gold digger, whatever you would call this that. This reminds me of my brother. Cody, if you're listening to this. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> he, for years, I don't know how he pulled this off, but he, whenever he dated somebody, they would always buy him clothes. <laughs> like, lots of clothes. Like, wardrobe him out. And I was just like... He I, would be their little project. Yeah, and I, I think he... He likes dressing the way he dresses. And so they're like, well, we'll buy you nice clothes. And he's like, well, now I have nice clothes. I'm not going to wear these often. <laughs> but now he has like great clothes and a nice closet. Yeah. So I don't know how he does it. That's that's exactly what he did. He would date these women and they would be like, you poor thing. Let's go shopping. Right. And that's why he looks as good as he does. Right. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, they they basically pull off this whole we're going to be good friends flirting for a while until they get to a small place in France mm-hmm. where he's going to go meet his grandmother and she doesn't believe him but lo and behold mm-hmm. he brings her with him and they go meet the grandma yeah and i was trying to do the math and i'm like you're middle aged sir <laughs> like i didn't really believe that he's got it like cary grant Looking at the eyes, like you're 45, pushing 50. If I'm being really generous, and yeah. for you to have an 80 year old grandmother, he's so, I don't know. So Cary Grant in this movie is 52. Okay, when the movie's made, and Deborah Kerr, Kerr. is 36. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like she pulls off older. Yeah. Well, there's something about her face just just feels mature. I I take her for 40. Yeah, and, and I, I take him for I'm 50. Supposed, yeah, but if he is 50, 80 year old grandmother grandmother she i think she says she's in her 70s she said 82 i'm turning oh, like 82. 82 so that that okay so that means it's the lorelei gilmore situation so she had her kids when she was 16 his parents had him when she was when he they were 16 yeah, yeah. so okay uh you sure know, old but he's, he's like a silver fox there's no way he's he's under 50 yeah it's like if you really want me to be convinced of that because like Cary grant is like george clooney today it's like right. you yeah, always yeah. look not old in a bad way but I would never be convinced that you'd be a contemporary of Brad Pitt, even though technically you are. Sure. And there's something about Cary Grant where he has a vivacious youthfulness about him. But it's at this point in time of his life where he's got like catcher's mitt skin. Yeah, like, exactly. Like he's been in the sun a lot and mm-hmm. you can tell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so they go to the grandma and it's a very sweet visit. And that's where Deborah Kerr really starts to feel a closeness and a warmth to Cary Grant because she had been definitely holding him him at bay. Sure. uh, Because, you know, decorum and all that. Well, decorum and he's a player and she knows and he knows and he's up front with it. And it's, it's, it's that thing where this can work and be good for me. Only if he's a little bit different. Yeah, and but and their cir- circumstance, like sure, and the, the whole circum- thing uh, on top of the circumstances. The whole thing is the circumstances because if they weren't uh, tied to these other people, it would have happened by now. Right, they would have at least had an affair. An affair to remember. Did you ever see it? Um, but so far, it's been very chaste. Uh, but they have this lovely visit with Grandma. She plays the piano for them. They sing songs. It's very warm. She learns that he's a painter and a singer and a pianist. And she sees him around children and he's very Cary Grant about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, she sees like the guy who works at the estate and he's jumping up and down and shaking hands. Yeah. Yeah, he's just charming as all get up. And it's fucking Cary Grant. And he's sincere too. Yeah. Like I feel like when once you get somebody around their family you're like, "Oh, I see I see what you are like." Yeah. yeah. And we yeah, we see the real him. Mm-hmm. And there's also the scene where they go pray in a church and she wants to go pray in the church, which is, you know, very Black Narcissus of her because that was another movie she was in where she plays a nun. Um, I just want to show off all my film knowledge because I looked up IMDb five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> but there's this just nice, it reminded me of West Side Story where they go to a church and it's very romantic because it's uh, kind Sacred. of- a, Yeah. Yeah. And because we don't really think that necessarily either of these characters are super religious, mm-hmm. but- it's obvious that she appreciates the sacredness of the space and he's there to appreciate her appreciating it. Yeah. Yeah. And up until this point, they've definitely been buddy buddy and they've been chummy with each other. So they get along as friends and we know that there's an attraction because mm-hmm. there's this flirtation and the grandma is super horny for them. She's to get like, together. Oh my God, you guys should bang. Like, like I'll give you a bedroom right now. She's she's like looking at both of them and handing out condoms. <laughs> she's, she's like, eh, eh, uh, eh. Uh? finger, <laughs> other yeah. finger. So um, there's this moment where she's French. Come on, guys, (laughs) it's cool. Saying we, we, they have to leave, and Deborah Kerr is stepping out down the stairwell, Mm -hmm. and she turns back and sees the grandma who's like waving goodbye, and it's a long moment of just silence, and they're just looking at each other, and she goes to hug the grandma, and you feel this thing where something has shifted, right? Like the gravitational pull of. Her life has changed now where she feels you can see that she feels a closeness to Nikki and his family that she's never felt. She seems to have never felt elsewhere. Yeah. This is not explained. This is felt through the filmmaking. It is. It's very cinematic. Um, and then other things happen. Uh, they get back to the boat and they have their first kiss. And it's a really interesting. Beautiful framing. Uh, it's a late motif that this movie kind of goes back to a couple of times where the important things happen off screen. Yeah, but we see the the rest of them. Right. We see basically all of their body except their shoulders and heads. And I think that's the that's the 50s set play is that I think they might actually were forced to do it that way. No, you could still kiss on scene in 1957. Mm, perhaps I would not be surprised was if the it, Hayes was Code it, said you can't have two people who are engaged to other people kiss each other. That's possible. Or in Cary Grant's contract, he said there has to be tongue if I'm ever <laughs> kissing someone. We can't show that. Fine, Fine, I'll just do it off camera. Whatever, it's in my contract. <laughs> uh, but the 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 thing that I want to point out about Cary Grant's character is that after the first night, the game kind of goes away and he stops being the playboy with her and he just starts being real. And I think this is the most vulnerable we've ever seen Cary Grant in a role before. Yeah. Uh, this podcast for sure. Yeah. And, um, Deborah Kerr is just, I think she much more appreciates his openness to her and not the like slick gamesmanship because the slick gamesmanship, that's just kind of bullshit at a, at a certain point where that's yeah. not real. Uh, That's no, not really it's, who it's you are. what it is is horny. Yeah. Yeah. But him being vulnerable and open. Now that's like me. I got to relate to him. I felt connected to him and I got to see myself in another character because I never see myself in Cary Grant because <laughs> he's fucking Cary Grant. Sure. But when he's his voice cracks and like she points it out and he's like being real with yeah. her. I'm like, yeah, I can feel this. I can yeah. feel myself in the story now. No, it's very real. Mm-hmm. Um and 
at the, it's at this point in time that they kind of have to figure out what does this mean for us? Mm-hmm. Like this is obviously something real and they discuss it as he walks around a <laughs> a staircase. It's a very funny scene of physical comedy. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've impressed upon the audience yet how how absolutely iceberg this story's pacing is. Mm-hmm. Um because I, it's not something that'll put me to sleep, but I've I've seen a lot of people lobby or volley like the word boring at this movie. You're boring. (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't think so. I can see where they're coming from because if you are not invested in this relationship or you do not like one of these two actors, you are going to be very bored by what they're doing. Yeah. But But how can you not be invested in their love story? That's I, I, yeah. And I do think that's where this movie shines is the interaction between them. That's all that's going on. There's nothing else going on in this movie. It's Um, just about their interactions. Yeah. So I don't mean this as necessarily a criticism, um, but Deborah Kerr, Kerr. when she's interacting with people who aren't Cary Grant, there is a completely different affect to her. And Mm. I don't know if it's her putting that in her role or if that's her not having a specific scene partner to act against. I'm not sure. But when she's talking to the grandma for the first, like, five minutes she's talking to the grandma, it felt a lot like when she was singing later, mm-hmm. uh, which is just kind of like her body is it's a little bit more rigid and her answers are very just polite, but like they're they're brittle in a way um that when she interacts with Cary Grant they're not and it seems to me to be a conscious choice um but it i i the the story moved slower in those points but i was invested so yeah. all i was saying is i can see i can see where this movie would slow down for somebody else if you weren't super invested in the romance of it yeah, yeah. because it's very it's very soft and feathery the story mm-hmm. the feel of the story yeah um, and there's a lot of lingering moments where just people are looking and noticing that other people are looking. Yeah, because if you take another 50s movie like Breakfast at Tiffany's, there's a lot going on. There's yeah. mambo music and oh. Audrey Hepburn in uh, a toga. And there's like, a cat. And racist characters. And yeah. like, there's a, lot, <laughs> there's a to, lot going on. There's a lot to interact with. But this is very straightforward. And I, I just liked soaking in the imagery because it's beautifully photographed. It felt like a play a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah, yeah totally. And mm-hmm. yeah, you got to be you got to be in. You yeah. got to be all in on And I was. Yeah. Um, so they decide on this last night that once they find out that this photographer has been taking photos of them the whole time, let's just, we're in it. Yeah. Like, you know, like we might as well enjoy ourselves because if, you know, the whole world finds out that, you know, we've been hanging out together, then uh, they're going to find out. Yeah. Everyone else knows. So yeah. let's stop pretending. But they're, they're not like fully fledged, like, you know, having sex on the dance floor or yeah. anything. They're, you know, just, they're still hiding it. They're just enjoying themselves. Yeah. There are two people dancing and exactly. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's at this point in the movie, that's kind of like 50 or 60 minutes in. It's almost like halfway point. It's an hour in when they get to the dock. Yeah. And at this point, we believe that these two people have to be together. Yes. They need to be together. Because even when they're not in love and love, they're obviously in like when they're not committed to like experiencing new love, they're still in love. They're made for each other. Yeah. And in movies where there's affairs, I usually do not have sympathy for the characters doing those things. I'm like, no, you have responsibilities not allowed. But this is one of the only movies where I'm like, 
no, it has to be this way. <laughs> like, they got to go, like, settle things mm-hmm. and, like, you know, fess up and make things right, but go be be with each other. Because it just, when they started to, after the first night and they had this flirtation, mm-hmm. they very, very, very clearly do not really care about the people who they were actually in relationship with. Like, it just paled in comparison because... Right, because, well, I mean, it doesn't seem like they don't care. It's just that they don't love... They don't have the same connection that this new connection possibly, possibly has. And I I buy it just the way that they And they have that, they have that perfect connection where they're flirting, even when they're, like, just having a normal interaction. Yeah. And, like, this happens a lot in the beginning of relationships, but it's really beautiful to see, where they first get to the dock and their significant others are there to pick them up, and they're, like looking back and forth at each other and being like, is that your person? Oh, yeah. oh, oh, oh. Okay. <laughs> and it's Carrie, great. Cary Grant pulls off this, this interaction where like at first she is photographed between the two of them when they're coming down the gangplank. Yeah. But later when she's with her Bellamy, like he walks by and like kisses his hand and puts it on her hand, which is currently on his, like her significance back. Yeah. And it's just, it's a slick move that I really only think Cary Grant can pull off and we know he's not going to get caught. Yeah. Oh, it's super slick. And you're like, yeah. And it's like you can't even even when they're around the the partners that they are ostensibly with, mm-hmm. you can't deny this magnetism between them. Right. And you know what? We really we skipped over one of the most important scenes, which is the one that they reference in uh, Sleepless in Seattle. It's where they're standing on the boat and they're talking about their love and how they'd be falling in love at this place in their life. That's like the, like the fall of their life. Yeah. Right. They're both smokers. They know it, <laughs> it's not going to last super long, but they, they, he's like, my face is like a catcher's mitt. <laughs> <laughs> and, and they do that, that whole line that I'll, I'll play now. Winter must be cold for those with no warm memories. We've already missed the spring. Yes. Well, this is probably my last chance. Mine too. Where it's so Shakespearean in its language. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it, they really heighten the language for this scene. Yeah. And it really brings it into that, like, high romance moment. And yeah. I'm here for it because it's such a, it's such a real feeling. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know that you've not been there before, but, like, I remember when I hit 30... And I was like, well, I'm single Mm. and this is a lot, I'm single a lot later than I thought I'd be. Right. Um, And then when you find love again and you're like, ah, okay, this is something to hold on to. Yeah. It's, it's a real feeling. And they're like, they're, they're kind of bouncing that off of each other. And they're like, do you feel the same way? Because I really would love this that I'm feeling now to be a permanent thing. The reason why there's... There's kind of two sides to the token of romance movies. It's either aspirational or inspirational. Mm-hmm. It's you want to have love like that or you have love like that and you would like to rekindle it to get to that point. Because sure. like, we don't have the luxury of these characters in this movie who have nothing else to do but to just hang out on this boat and they're enjoy not, each other. They're not... Like I'm, I'm going on vacation soon and I'm like trying not to take work that I have to do while I'm on vacation, taking care of my child Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I'm just like, oh, watching them on this boat. It looks so carefree and wonderful. You haven't gone on a trip with your kid yet, right? I 
traveled 45 minutes to your wife's parents <laughs> the other day. I no. learned something cruel. When you have a baby or toddler, you don't go on vacation. You go on trips. <laughs> you just go places. You go to places and you have a new place to take care of your child, but you have less things to do to have at hand to take care of your child. So now you are on you're the away team and you don't have home field advantage <laughs> sure so you're not going on vacation you're going on a trip we're doing this soon we're we're literally going to be taking two three four planes over the course of three weeks you're a crazy person i mean i know but it's got to be done anyways my whole diatribe about that part mm-hmm. is in our daily lives with the romantic partner that we have it gets really difficult to actually have romantic time together. And you go on dates and you do stuff like that. But when you watch a movie like this and you connect to these characters who are in love, you relate to it and you are reminded of your own love story. And when this movie ended, Sarah was like basically asleep because it was like after midnight. And I just and you're was like, like oh, this is definitely <laughs> reminding me of my life. <laughs> but I was just like, can we cuddle? <laughs> Like, hey, there's a catchphrase. Can we cuddle? Can we cuddle? That's what I said felt like that. Watching this movie about these two imaginary characters made me feel so much closer to my wife. Mm-hmm. That's the magic of a romantic movie. Well, did it make you feel closer? Or did it make you want to feel closer? Because I think oh, I think that's like the... it made me realize I'm like, oh my god, the only thing I talked to my wife about today was like groceries and like these practical things. Yeah. And I didn't have to have I didn't get to have personable moments with her and i need to yeah and i'm missing that and that's that's the great thing about cinema i had the exact same moment with robin after we watched this movie where i was just like oh man i'd like to flirt a little bit more yeah (laughs) because these last eight months have been taking care of a kid a lot yeah you know yeah and the aspirational part was the for ryan 15 years ago when he was watching a movie like nutting hill and it was just like i want that Mm -hmm. can i have that please and then I met Sarah. But, and then I think it also reminds us, like these movies remind us, you have to make that. Yeah. It's not like, not saying that Rob and I don't flirt. We flirt maybe too often. But like the the reminder of how fun that is, mm-hmm. is something that you lose sometimes when you're taking care of everything. Yeah. And these movies are good reminders. And they're they're not necessarily subtle a lot of the time, but they don't need to be. Mm-hmm. Like uh, they almost shouldn't be. They should be slapping you in the face and telling you go love. <laughs> There's can that be a catchphrase? You, yeah, go, go love. Hey everybody, go love. Go love. <laughs> I like go love. I feel like we're in a baseball game. So, hey, go love. So what was yours? Um, can we cuddle? Can that we cuddle? Can't be a catchphrase. I think it is. Can, can we cuddle? <laughs> <laughs> so. Basically, what happens is they decide we're going to meet at the top of the Empire State Building in six months. And we're going to get married. Yeah, because they're like, I saw this movie once called Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> exactly. It's a great idea. Because they both met up with the doctor, who's <laughs> this time traveling. <laughs> so they they both go do this very honorable thing where they both go break up with their significant others and decide to make a bunch of money so that they can support themselves because they've kind of been living off of other people. She tells this weird story about how she was living in a in a bar and the guy that she's or she was working in a bar as a singer and this guy that she's dating came in and was like, you shouldn't be in a bar. You should be in a penthouse. And so I don't know if she's a kept woman of some kind. <laughs> like, is he just paying for her living and having sex with her? They've just been dating for five years. That is true. What? And, yeah. What's, what's going on there? I don't know. I think it's just 
like the 50s being more modern than they are. Yeah. Or being more modern than we thought they that's were. That's not really a thing. I do I do like the subplot where Cary Grant's like, okay, I have to stop being Kardashian about this. And I shouldn't say that because Kardashians are actually wonderful business moguls. So there is that. Yeah. But whatever insert like celebrity who really does do nothing and just has nothing going on for them. Yeah. But seems like a chill guy at parties. Yeah. And he's like, all right, I got to actually like, if I want to get married and have a wife, I got to like take care of my wife. And it's very 1950s, but please don't hold it against it. Like, like I can imagine a feminist read of this movie be like, well, it's both fucking bullshit. It's like, well, but it's like it's like Jane Austen. It's like these are the standards and this is good conflict. Wait, I, I don't Not understand. Not literally Jane Austen, but I, Jane Austen had her mores and he has his. I don't understand where you're getting that there would be a feminist read of this movie that would be Why should he have to take care of her? Can't she take care of herself? Well, no, I think I think she literally goes and works. To take care of herself, she has to go to work to take care of herself in this interim because she's not because she's not going to be with this guy who's going to like bankroll her anymore. She's going to work for herself. And so she has he literally has the same story as her. And I think this movie, like I think, if you take a feminist read of this movie at this point in time, they have a um, a, an interviewer interview Cary Grant when he's still with his like really rich person. Yeah, and he like leans over and he's like, "So how are you going to win? You know." bread for the family yeah. and he's like i'm gonna paint yeah and so i really do think this is an equal opportunity film i don't my read of the movie is that she was gonna go sing and work a little just to take care of herself in this in-between time until they get married i i read it as the burden was on him and it felt like more of a burden on him than it was on her maybe but not a t- not not so much so that it felt completely one-sided but we see more of his his work towards getting money than her because she just gets a like she gets like a a, a singing s- uh, i'm gonna say we see a lot more of her singing than we necessarily needed to <laughs> no but we see all these additional scenes i know of, i'm making a joke oh you didn't like her song her her one song i'm sorry one song no yeah i, I liked her song i, I thought it was there's, fun there's two songs that she sings in uh her nightclub uh-huh. And then she sings another one with a bunch of school children. I don't and then, I don't even remember her singing along with him. I just felt like the the school children were, did this little cute no, no, little she, song. Remember she Was sang she, along because one of the kids couldn't make she it. She said that. I'm like I don't remember her actually she singing. She did sing. Oh. And then they I was come distracted by these kids. And then oh gosh, it's a it's a goofy it's a goofy ass song. I I honestly think that um one song would have been enough for this movie. It what it felt like to me was the 50s are like musicals everybody loves a musical i enjoyed the goofy song because it was getting dark and i needed some levity oh no like i said one goofy song sure but we have breaks of songs that Mm -hmm. last for more than a minute and it's not like this is a musical or anything it's just like we're gonna watch her sing then we're gonna cut back to cary grant then we're gonna watch her sing for another minute and then we're gonna cut back to cary grant didn't bother me i liked it i and i liked but but I guess my whole point was there seemed to be more like plot development of him trying to find his career as a painter. And sure. the stuff with the kids is after her accident. Yeah, so that's like I, other I get stuff. what you're saying. But it, I think the movie is trying to make a bigger case for him and his career than her and hers. Sure. I, I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying that it's still portrayed a woman making her own way in the world for a while. I suppose so. But I don't think it's equal. I don't think it's equal. I do think that this movie is asking him to take care of her in the long run. Yeah. yeah. But 
he never does in the movie until maybe after the movie. Right. And I love, I love the scene. So we've set this up that he's a painter and he's got an art dealer and he's got these paintings that he wants to sell. And we see him like doing work a day work as a painter or he's working on a billboard and his dealer comes down and he's like, I sold one of your women, <laughs> which is just, that's pretty good. Oh man. So funny. And like crowds are like, what the hell? I love that. It's really good. And he like, we, we get that he's a good painter because we see something he's given his grandmother earlier, but mm-hmm. now we get that he's developing his style. And yeah. If only art worked like this most of the time. They really like compressed it because like... No, I, not even time frame. Just that you have somebody to sell your freaking art. Well, that's how it... I mean, in those circles, you had the dealers. Sure. That's how... I mean, I think that's still how it works is that you got to you gotta mm, get in with the I dealers. Think, I think for the most part now you're on Instagram. Well, sure. But like back then you had to, ha- you had to be in that high society place where you had these rich snob dealers who would get you in, in the museum, like not the museum, but the, the like galleries. No, no, like no. A chill dude. But he had, he would the, also be he had the refined accent. You you could tell that there well, was you something have to, to be if you're going to sell paintings. Exactly. Come on now. No, but I, it's one of those, like everything about this guy's life is very, I don't know. Like you couldn't have a kid coming up from some poor slum and have the same experience that he does. Sure. He, he has the privilege of having this art dealer in his life. Right. And so anyway, they get to the, the day where they're supposed to meet at the empire state building and Deborah Carr has, is a car occurred, you know, accidentally attached herself to Bellamy for a second again, uh, because he, he like heard that she was down at his shop or yeah, something. Some, he's spying on her somehow. And and so she's like extricating herself politely from him and runs out into the middle of the street after taking a cab and off screen again, off screen gets nailed. I don't know how you would have done this on screen. I don't know. I it like I don't know how you would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I'm, I'm, I, were you thinking I didn't like it? No, no. You're saying off screen as if as if it was like an intentional motif. I don't think that part was intentional. I think they only had one way of shooting woman getting hit by car in the 1950s. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I mean, if they only also had one way of having like two people, you know, I, I think maybe it's for different reasons. Right. But it does become a leitmotif of this movie, regardless of intent. That's true. Um, And so she gets hit and she's you know, having a horrible time in the hospital in bed, like, because she's like in and out of pain medications probably. And he's just sitting there up on the empire state building, waiting and waiting and waiting. And she does not come. Um, he waits until midnight. Yeah. I think if you had a similar thing, you would wait until midnight. I would wait until six 30. (laughs) Like I I, I I would not be that optimistic. I would wait. Um, but it's, it's a really well shot scene because like the guy in the elevator keeps coming up. I wonder actually if that's the same actor in Sleepless in Seattle because it was a really young bellhop and it's a really old one in um, Sleepless oh, in Seattle. Oh, that would be really interesting. I don't know. Maybe. I like that read. And, um, and all these people are coming up and he's like, are you Annie? Yeah. Are you Annie? <laughs> are you Annie? Are you Annie? Are you Deborah Kerr? Kerr. You do hear the sirens when he's up there at one point in time. Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh. figure it out. <laughs> It's rough. And he continues to sell paintings and we get that his grandma died. Um, Mm -hmm. And then she she's not going to take help from her her buddy because she doesn't want to owe him the Bellamy guy. But she also doesn't want to tell Cary Grant. And I want to ask you about like a psychological read of why she doesn't tell Cary Grant, because I understand it. Robin was like, this is stupid. Just tell him. 
Yeah. I first for a second I thought it was stupid, but then I thought about it and I really put myself in her shoes and I was like, okay, I get it because her thing was it sounded like she could recover to the point where she could walk again. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, And she wants to do that because she's worried that he will reject her if he finds out what her status is, her condition is. So I actually think it's the opposite of that. Can I can I tell you my read? Well, that's what she says. Mm, no. Because she's like, I don't want to go after him until, unless I can run after him. I know. But I, I think what she's worried about, and maybe maybe you're right, maybe I'm right, mm-hmm. but they are specifically nonspecific about this. Mm-hmm. I think she's worried that he'll stay because she's injured. Oh, for the wrong reason. Right. And where, like, it's it's something where... She doesn't know him that well, right? Yeah. What if he's made this commitment and it's something that he actually doesn't want to commit to and he ends up resenting her for it? Yeah. Like, I just think there's two different reads of that and I think they're both valid. I think that's a more modern psychological approach to it. It could be. Um, Yeah. But at the end, like, it seems like she's worried about him not wanting to be with her maybe because she's injured um, at the end because she's like, oh, I'll walk. Like, almost like she's telling him that she'll walk. She promises that she'll get yeah. better. And he's like, I don't care, man. Yeah. I, like, I mean, I was thinking about it. I was like, okay, you're in a wheelchair. You can't walk anymore. Like, you need help. You Like, all these things, like, mm-hmm. are in the way. I truly would be worried about Sarah rejecting me if this happened before we got married. Mm. That That is, like, something I was like, okay, I would totally have that fear. See, I, I totally would have that fear. I would have the fear that they – see, I and I would have the opposite fear. So maybe we are just – Projecting. Projecting. But I I think that's the great thing about a good story is that you should be able to project possibilities. Yeah. So they don't meet up again until like this ballet that they both happen to be at where she's sitting down and he walks by her and she's just waiting for everybody to leave so that she can get into her wheelchair. And he picks up her purse, hands it to her, and they just both say hello just like Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and Sleeps in Seattle. Yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Like, everything between him and her in this movie is great. Yeah, and you're like, oh, man. Yeah. You feel it. Yeah, and it's it's there's the sexual tension you can cut with a knife. And they're both with their significant people that they were with beforehand, but they're not actually with them. They're just attending with them. And they don't even really want to be with them. No, but I do think Cary Grant wants to get his beak wet in a manner of speaking <laughs> because like, and and so does his lady. His lady's like, I miss, I miss that. Mm, mm-hmm. I miss that Cary Grant, mm-hmm. you know, because she's like in bed and she's like, don't make plans for afterwards, baby. <laughs> it's like, oh man. Woo! Hot stuff. <laughs> Good thing this isn't a Skype call, Cary Grant. <laughs> You'd be in trouble. <laughs> He's like, I want to cuddle. <laughs> <laughs> eh, I don't think I'm I'm like, get love. He can't he can't Go have love. my cuddle line. He can't have it. That's so uh, so he uh he ends up at her apartment and like later that day on Christmas, he like finds her and He's very bitter <laughs> we just need to play that scene from sleepless oh it's so amazing when he comes to see her because he doesn't even notice that she doesn't get up to say hello and he's very bitter and you think that he's just gonna walk out the door 
and never know why. She's just lying there, you know, like on the couch with this blanket over her shriveled little legs. And well, you are right. And uh, I honestly, I forgot how this movie ended. Had you seen this before? When I was 12. Oh, that's a long... Yeah, I didn't this quite... This is not a fun movie for a 12-year-old. I didn't quite love it when I was 12, but I didn't dislike it either. It was like, uh, okay, this was, was fine. He, Cary Grant is charming to all ages, but... <laughs> sure. But the subject matter, I don't get. Yeah. Why does she want him to come with her after the ballet? Where are they Are they going? having a sleepover? <laughs> so... I thought what was going to happen was he's talking to her and she's sitting on this couch and she's just not getting up. Yeah. You know, and I thought he was going to walk in the other room after getting super mad at her and he was going to see the wheelchair. Yeah. But the conversation that they have beforehand is he posits that he wasn't there. To he didn't like, show up. Yeah. He, it's this conceit that he throws her, but and he's like, run with me here. And, but she like, does isn't quite sure if he's being serious or not, but then like through like a quarter of the way through the conversation, she's like, Oh, he's just allowing me a very graceful way to talk about this. Yeah. It's a very well-written scene. Very well-written. And it's not until he realizes that a woman in a wheelchair came and purchased or didn't purchase, but like got a painting that he made of her later on. And she hasn't gotten up this whole time. Yeah. He, he has this like stream of noticing right at the end of the movie. His face is anguished and it's just this, Oh my God moment. And but it's also, it's filled with joy too, because he's like, ah, she didn't stand me up Yeah, because that's, that's palpable relief. Yeah. But, and, but you can also see the like, Oh man, I'm cut. I've, kind of been a dick to have this like disdain towards her because it's been totally misplaced because yeah but it's completely understandable disdain because Mm -hmm. she didn't tell him and so that that's also the onus is on her because she made him feel heartbreak when he didn't need to and this is just good drama where we're watching you're like oh please just make it work out please help (laughs) yeah you're screaming to this to the sky and you're just like go love go love love." (laughs) and they do and at the end, they kiss, and it ends on the stupidest shot that this movie could have ended on, which is a shot of a chain link fence in Central Park with a bunch of snow on it, which is the same thing it opened on. I don't get the bookend in this. It's just dumb, but it was a great final scene of the movie. Yeah, I think that's just their title cards. Like, it's just this. I know, but it was like. Weird, and mean, we're going back to Central Park. I mean, I or is it like is it a metaphor for now they're in the winter? No, you're reading into these title cards which have no meaning. I know, but there's there's nothing behind. But it it was a live title card. It's a dump. It's a most most title cards have something to do with the rest of the movie. I guess so. But this one's like it's set in New York in the winter. Yeah, that's it. That's all it is. Like if you look at if you look at any movies from pre 1960s, these title cards are up against these things, and sometimes they're cute. Yeah, some like sometimes in a movie, it's like we've created a little bit of art around the theme. Like uh, White Christmas, I think it's yes, like a Christmas card. it's like card. Christmas cards. Um, but other times, it's pretty arbitrary. And what they did, this is why they sh- went to that cut, is because uh-huh. they sent a unit of a director and a DP, and they said, go fucking shoot something in New York. We need a title card. Uh-huh. And that's all they did. And that's all they had when they're like, oh, we need to cut to a title card. And that's all they had. But they, they didn't had. need to. You could have just ended. You no, didn't they, have to. They needed to because that was how it worked then. You I didn't know. have 
you didn't have an end roll, so I think you're being unfair towards this last show. Ryan, you said something on the last podcast where you said, <clears throat> great artists lead. <laughs> and I'm just saying they should have taken know, the opportunity to lead. I know, but that's the thing is that you're in these old-fashioned movies, you're stuck with these old-fashioned standards where it's like, you have to do the opening sequence. It's like, can we get to the beginning of the movie? But they have to do all their credits at the front of it. And it takes I, I sometimes forever. like that. Like I know, in eighties movies, especially because usually it's setting a tone. Oh well, in its eighties, you have fucking Top Gun doing it, and have, that's amazing. You have Top Gun, you have On Golden Pond, you have all these movies that are just like, okay, we're going to give you the aesthetic of the movie with moving motion pictures instead of generally in in this time frame. It's like we have either a still image or like title cards that were jumping back and yeah, forth and, to, I and think, a fanfare. There's I, always a fanfare, right? Yeah. Well, in movie making in the fifties, th- it wasn't a sensibility. It was a rule. Just you get could... on board with me and tell me it's no good, Ryan. Just jump on I know. board. No, I'm no, that's what I'm saying. That's <laughs> so, why we saw things change in the sixties, seventies, because they were boring. like, these rules are dumb. Yeah. And George Lucas got kicked out of the director's guild of Alliance because he refused to put credits at the opening of his movie. He's like, no, I'm not doing that. And he got kicked out of for the American guild for American Graffiti? It. For Star Wars. He wouldn't put any opening credits at the top of it. Did they let him back in after his m- movie made a bunch of money? <laughs> no, they, he's still not in the DGA. What? Yeah. <laughs> that can't be true. I think that's true. Well, he hasn't really, di- to be honest, he hasn't really directed a lot since then. Yeah, only three other movies yeah. after that. And so that's the thing is that it was in the 70s where directors were like, these rules are dumb. So mm. like, I'm sure lots of people, filmmakers felt you in this like, why are we cutting this card? And he's like, well, I have to. <laughs> so that's i'm just, sorry just cut to like um a folded up wheelchair and like a bunch of clothes being thrown on it yeah no i agree it's uninspired but i'm not surprised by it sure yeah i feel yeah yeah um well that wraps up our movie mm-hmm. uh did you like it i give this movie you asked me what i gave clueless last week yeah. i said i'm giving you it a good a, four. A, a solid four out of five this movie for me gets a five out of five stars five out of five this is a star wars for you this is a star wars uh it was I was moved very deeply, and movies rarely do that. I was as well. However, due to the four cutaway music scenes, I'm going to dock it a point five. Oh, wow. You really I, didn't like that music. I I didn't hate the music, per se. I really did think Deborah Kerr's Kerr. performance was w- weird during her music scenes. It, this woman was in The King and I. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't make it not weird. Like, like if Rosemary Clooney had something wrong with her back in, in <laughs> White Christmas and you just sent her out there anyway and she's like, oh, I'm turning and I'm looking and I'm smiling and well, singing. They don't have anything weird like that in this movie. What do you mean? Like, what, what are you saying? Like, no, I'm like, I'm saying it, she was doing a Rosemary Clooney thing where she was standing and singing to she, the audience. She, and, yeah, she has a musical and kind num- of vamping a, a little number. bit. Yeah. And I just, I don't know why but i didn't personally love her performance Mm. and that's but i liked everything else she was doing did you like the song itself and what it did thematically for the movie yeah i did actually i liked that the grandmother played it and she like kind of connected to that song and brought it with her when she wasn't with cary grant i really liked that yeah um i the woman who sang i think part of the problem is is deborah Kerr didn't sing this mm-hmm. um it was uh naomi naomi nina something um but it was a different singer mm-hmm. and there's like there's just a lot going on where it felt distracting the second time that we went back there anyway but on top of that there were all these added layers that were just distracting me during those scenes where i'm just like let's 
move on here. Yeah, I didn't notice that at all. Yeah. Weird. Anyway, um, but at 4.5, because I think mm-hmm. this is a capital G great movie. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful direction from Leo McCary, who um, won multiple Oscars before. He did um, Going My Way. He did The Awful Truth, which is a perfect Cary Grant comedy. Um, just great. Everything's great. Great writer, great director, great stars. It doesn't surprise me that he worked on a Bing Crosby before yeah. this. Yeah. Alrighty, friends. Let's go on over to Trope Talk. And welcome back to Trope Talk. It's like boat talk because we have to turn it around. You have to go back. You're stronger than me, Carrie Grant. Turn it around. Turn it around. Turn around the boat. <laughs> I... I thought that performance was great, actually, where she's just like freaking out on the bed and she's just like, I'm in delirium, but I think Harry Grant's got such good muscles. <laughs> yeah, I think the scenes are always corny, but I'm like, it's the 50s. They right. were pumping her with morphine. The world works for me right here. Yeah. They're really corny, but yeah. So what's our trope? So our trope is that one place that's just far enough away from home for something to happen. Mm, magic. It's it's that thing where if you displace somebody and make make them a fish out of water, but not necessarily a fish out of water because they don't belong, but just because it's like a new environment. You yeah. know, it's a it's a place that our characters can go that is immediately new, which makes it inherently romantic. It's like if um, I remember going um into a new building that was being built on Whitworth campus. And, you know, I wasn't supposed to be in there, but it was almost finished. And like being in this place that I wasn't supposed to, but so no other student that I knew had actually been inside. Yeah. And I just walked around in the middle of the night and it was, it was new and different and romantic and it felt like anything could happen. Yeah. And luckily I wasn't caught because that would have been the bad thing that could happen. <laughs> but like I just ended up spending the night in one of these random rooms and like Whoa. doing my homework in there just because it was it was different. Yeah. You know, and this boat in this movie is this different place for them. Everyone has the romantic fantasy of you're on vacation somewhere, you're in a new place and, and you fall in love. You meet someone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why one is connected to the other. Well, right. We don't fantasize about falling in love um, at the Jack in the Box while we're at the drive-thru. We, we don't think that's going to happen. No, but there are odd places that are local that you can do that at. Like, like think about Powell's. Oh, like yeah. Like a library or a coffee shop. Or... In the days before Sarah, did I ever hit on people in Powell's? Absolutely. Did it ever go anywhere? No. <laughs> Jane Austen. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I honestly, here was one of my lines. Here was one of my lines. So which Hemingway should I get? <laughs> <laughs> so And it actually kind of worked. We had a good conversation. Oh, 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 really? I was about to ask, like, did, was she wearing heels or like running shoes? Like what sound did it make as she ran away? <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. She just waltzed away. Oh, very. She was like, this man's obviously not a threat <laughs> if he doesn't know which Hemingway to like. I mean, I'm sorry, random lady. No, I think I think those are romantic places where they almost encourage a level of romance. Not saying that everybody wants to get hit on in a bookstore, but I think what's uh, I'll tell I'll say my ideal place. Sure. Yeah. um, An empty movie theater and where they're the only other person. They're the only other person there. And it's a classic movie. And they showed up to your favorite classic movie Uh and you showed up to their favorite classic movie. Uh I want to see this scene in a movie where 
like one person just ends up moving extremely close to the other person when the other person wasn't looking. <laughs> Not creepy. Not creepy. Not creepy. Hello. <laughs> Let's see, what's my my ideal like romantic environment to like just stumble across and meet somebody? I think also the one uh, this is I'm cheating. I'm saying a second one. No, that's fine. Um, but you also are always crossing your fingers when you're in that airplane seat. Yes, you're just like, please be a hot person. Please be a hot person. And it's always some big middle aged guy on his laptop. Honestly, and he's just taking up all the space next to you. Can I tell you a story? I had just broken up with the horrible, horrible relationship person that I'd I'd been in a relationship with, Mm -hmm. flew down to California, was down there for three days just to clear my head, Mm -hmm. flew back, and I took like a uh, 6 a.m. flight, right? And so I spent the night at the airport, got on the plane, got one of the back seats. I was disheveled. I was tired. (laughs) I didn't pack enough clothes, but I, I had spent a weekend just kind of cleansing my emotional state down there and so um and not by doing a lot either i just like hung out with a friend and uh thank you bill by the way bill, for listening to way this. To go. um so i end up on this plane and one of the she she worked for the airline but she was just flying as a oh nice. a citizen yeah she's that day. um there's a term for it deadheading you, yeah but but she wasn't working, so she wasn't technically deadheading. Right, like she she wasn't like going from airport to airport. She was just going home. Yeah, and so she like sat down next to me, and we talked. Speaking of Jane Austen, we talked the entire <gasps> I time. I remember this girl, and also her name was Kelly. Right, and so it was like this weird experience. I kept asking if I'm like, you talked to her anymore? We what's, what's the and deal? we did. We like we talked on and off for. Uh, like three weeks, but we never like met up again. We said goodbye at the airport, never met up again. She, she was dealing with that thing where she was almost out of a relationship, but not quite out of a relationship. And so it ended up being something where I like kind of just backed off and I was like, ah, yeah. But like, it was romantic mainly because like, let's say we were just, I don't know, on the sidewalk. I'm not going to be in a place with you long enough to find out, oh, your name's Kelly. Oh, you like literature. Right, you're oh, not you going like to have X. that encounter. Can I, can I tell you the ones that I've, I've had similar to that? Sure. Because I have so so rarely have sure. stories like that. Uh, I, I did meet a girl in a train. Oh, train. That would be one of my Trains ideals. are the best. Yeah. And I can't, I think we met at the station. Because you can get up and walk around. Like, trains are romantic inherently just because they're old. Yeah, and I think we met at the station, and it was a little bit... It was kind of like a a pre-before-sunrise situation where we were were getting on a train. Oh, you weren't already on the train. Yeah, and then, like, we had different seats. How much death did you talk about? (laughs) But, like, it was one of those things I remember, like, I talked to her at the station. Like, we kind of hit it off, but then we had to get on the train and find our seats. Uh And it was one of those situations where you kind of, like, crane your neck. Yeah. And you see them. Oh, yeah. And then, like, as the train was moving, you, I, this was the one shot I took, and it kind of worked. It was like, do you want to go get a drink in the the dining car? And we did, and we talked the whole time. Yeah, nothing ever happened. I, I was too, I was literally just too scared to like follow up with her. Sure, uh, you know that's just my personality. Um, but another time, I was coming back from Seattle down to Portland, and this woman came and found me on the observation car, and it was a regular that I talked to at work who was always a little weird to me mm-hmm. and it was that situation where she like sat down next to me and it's like hey it's you from the place that you work at and i was too nice not to run away sure and i had to talk to her 
the whole time and grins so through this it. is a trap yeah at that point yeah and so that was like the inverse of these romantic things where that's, she that's wasn't the... creeping me out but it was kind of a oh no i have to be polite and talk to you the whole time because i don't you're... know how to get out of this because yeah. i'm stuck on a train but also you're probably going to come into my work as well <laughs> yeah so i'm not yeah. going to be a dick i'm just going to be nice yeah totally i get that um hold on my i i still don't haven't come up with my ideal place to have this happen at I don't know. I'll think about it. <laughs> Go love. Well, that's the thing is that you've had these experiences and I just, well, I don't need to imagine about them now, but as sure. a writer, I do. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good practice. Um, you know what else is a good practice? Hmm. Going over to our Patreon. Shout out to Rachel Perel Foskett, who ah! <laughs> she saw the situation at hand and she's like, all right. She said, I'm, I'm going to remedy this. I'm changing my vote. So we have a tie right now. 50 First Dates and Mystic Pizza are tied. So if Woo! nothing changes, we're going to do both. Now you have one more week to break the tie, but please don't. I want to watch both of those movies. I want to watch Mystic Pizza more than 50 First Dates. Well, that's because you've seen it. Uh, yeah, and um, I'm, I'm intrigued by mm-hmm. Julia Roberts and these pizzas. Yeah. <laughs> what are these pizzas? <laughs> what do they taste like? Um, are they Mystic? <laughs> so... Get on there. That's the the poll. Uh, our new Gilmore Girls bonus episode is up and running. Yep. Um, enjoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, look out the next few months when we get to season five. The entrance of Logan Huntsberger is coming. Mm-hmm. So. Next month, we're going to be doing Speed. 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 With, um, you know, rom-com hero Dennis Hopper. <laughs> um, love seeing him but on screen. We have rom-com regulars uh, Keanu Reeves and Sandy B also mm-hmm. in that movie. Yeah. And Alan oh. Ruck. From Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Alan Ruck. Way to go, guy. That guy's in everything now. Uh, Yeah, so that is our Patreon. My essay. Oh, yeah, what's your essay? Sorry. Is about friendship. And friendship, as it is when you have children, you're in your 30s, and you have life going on, and that question of, am I doing this right? <laughs> because I very much have realized that my... Social life in my 30s looks nothing like it did in my early 20s. And I'm really wondering if my priorities are straight because I barely get time to see my wife. And it's uh-huh. I get to be really close to Kelly because I have a podcast with him. Sure. And that's why we could see each other every week. But and if it, we didn't have the podcast, we'd see each other once a month, maybe. Well, no. we. I mean, these days we'd see each other at least another once a week. Because yeah, because of our... No, it's not our writing that we got going yeah, yeah. on. But, but but it would it would take work otherwise. Yeah. Like more work. <laughs> yeah. And um it's just a weird phenomenon to be in your thirties and have friendships and invest in that. Yeah, I think I think it's something that you can do. It just part of the hard thing is that I think having friends with similar schedules is kinda key mm-hmm. a lot of the times. Like cause it's it's hard, especially Cause like you and I, if we want to hang out, I'm, I'm going to be working like four days next week and it's going to be like 12 hour days and you know, it's going to be out of town and they're going to be different hours than you're working. So if we ever wanted to hang out on those days that we're already working and not come back home just to hang out with our families, yeah, it would have to line up in this, like it'd be 1am or something. <laughs> the, the, the big thing I don't understand is all these people talking about these TV shows and I'm like, where are you getting the time to watch all of these shows? You just, you, you find time once a week. Yeah. I have time for Obi-Wan 
going to get to Stranger Things. You're watching, like, it's not like everybody else is watching 12 shows it a week. It feels like it. It feels like, they're like, have you seen Our Flag Means Death? Have you seen, have you seen, have you seen, have you seen? Well, yeah, yeah, but, but, but. It's just because, like, you know, one person watched this show, and when that one finished, then they're watching a different show. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I you just, do the same thing. You I, watch Gilmore Girls, then you watch Mando, then you watched the other Star Wars one, and then you watched the new Star Wars one. You've watched, like, three Star Wars ones in the last, like, five months. And you want to know what? When I finish a Star Wars show, I usually restart another Star Wars show. So what are you <laughs> even talking about? You're just not watching new stuff. I can't, I just wish I had more time to do both, and I'm like I'm like watching Gilmore Girls, and I'm like I'm enjoying this, but I'd rather be watching Star Wars. So here's the thing: <laughs> maybe instead of watching Star Wars, you go make friends. That's the thing. I'm not sure if that's the best move right now. <laughs> okay. Well, I can't wait to read your essay. But that's it. That's so it. I, I I need to now ask you: um, to whom or to what or to where or to why would you give your Golden Sword Award? She. A blessing from the Lord. God be praised. The Golden Sword. Sword. Sword award. As a filmmaker myself, I I kind of want to give the sword to Cary Grant. So that he can stab the interviewer <laughs> who is is interviewing him and like, hey, are you sure you want to wear a white shirt? And it's like, oh, I mean, I don't I haven't shot a lot with film, but I'm assuming that there wasn't a lot of glare coming off his matte cotton shirt. Well, it was they used kinescopes then. And so the film stock was flimsy. And so the, it was, I don't know. I, I bought it. Like, yeah, it. It, anyway, it he just seemed like an annoying prick of an interviewer. So that's the point. It worked. I know. So I want him to get stabbed. It worked. And you know, this was a thing is that a big feature of television interviews in the 50s was we're going to go to these celebrities. It was like cribs. Like we're going to go to these celebrities in their home and just chat with them in their home. Mm-hmm. It was like a big thing. Like there's one you can look up Humphrey Bogart and um, Lauren Bacall. Lauren Bacall. Like it was a big deal. LB. Yeah. And so uh, it really. I don't know. I guess this guy's a, a, an actual person. He Robert Wait, Hugh Lewis a, plays himself. The actor is a person. Yeah, he, he no. That's his like. That's what oh, he, he was. He was an actual interviewer. Yeah, it's yeah. like um, if they had Stephen, not Stephen John King, Oliver, or John Oliver, or who's Stephen King? Who's the guy on CNN? Um, Larry. Larry King. There you go. <laughs> Um, very good. Um, Stephen King. So I want to know. <laughs> How would you kill this character? And what's, what's up with these drapes? Scary supernatural way. Ooh. Ever got blood on these drapes? Um, I don't know who would have this golden sword, but we see the Bellamy to Deborah Kerr, Kerr. kind of show up later in the movie. And she's like going to meet with Cary Grant. And uh-huh. he's like, do, 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 gonna go and get in the way of this pending marriage that she's gonna have sure. and i was like someone shoot him someone shoot this guy like i want him to die like yeah. i well, have never rooted against time, a bellamy so much at that point in time i think he was if only for an instant an evil bellamy ladies and gentlemen ralph bellamy always the friend but never getting the girl but we're so right for each other. I know. This is just like my grandmother's china. I'm surprised. I didn't expect. I don't. You don't love me. 
No, I, I just have to think about it for a minute. Think about what? I wish she could just accept knowing how confused I am about all this. She will be mine. Oh, yes. She will be mine. Oh, yeah, you're right. He totally was. And, uh, yeah, so I would give the Golden Sword Award to someone who was near (laughs) him. Someone who could just Just take him down. Stab him. (laughs) You will not come between them. Behead him, please. You know, we actually had a female Bellamy in this one, too. That's true. Because she really let Cary Grant go with a, I guess we shouldn't have done this, but you have a great life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's straight up Bellamy. Yep. She's kind of a hot Bellamy. Yeah. Ooh, hot Bellamy. Um, okay, now that we got to play both of those, uh, would you give this movie a rom-com Oscar? Oh, it's coming boat. in. Yeah, it's coming into pier. Home. get back to the boat. Get Home. on the boat. I was. I kind of liked that as a come back from grandma's house. Like yeah. we're, we're get I've, on the boat. You've been on a big ship. Mm-hmm. I've never been on a ship like that. Don't work like that. They don't these do that. Days. Do they call you? Do they have buzzers? Maybe it does, but it's like you <laughs> check your phone. Get on the boat, idiot. Do they have a buzzer like when you go to food carts mm-hmm. and they're like, your food's ready, but they're like, get back to the boat. You're <laughs> 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I only get to give out one of these and I gave out a five star. So I'm oh. pretty confident that wow, I'm going to give it. Oh, here it comes. Best picture. Great, 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 great. I mean, I'm at the halfway point in the year and I feel like I'm feeling pretty confident. Feeling pretty confident. I think that's a great, Oscar. Um, I was thinking about giving this best chemistry. It's really good chemistry. Mm-hmm. It's really good chemistry, but I think I'm going to see better. We have more than half a year left. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to see a little bit better. I don't okay. know, but I think instead I'm going to give this movie best ending. Throw Like best ending scene. Not the title card. Not the title card. Throw it away. But the the scene being just this conversation between these two people who have a lot of emotions going on yep and how the writing in that scene just plays off as very subtle but plain-faced at the same time and there's hurt but decorum and i I don't know it's just i really enjoyed that last scene and Mm -hmm. so it gets best last scene for Mm me um i will give a runner up to the cinematography um, because it was shot in this format is called Cinescope. Is it this Cinescope? It was shot in, yeah. Uh, or Cinemascope. I can't remember. Yeah, Cinemascope. Yeah. Um, and to me, it looked like it was this anamorphic widescreen that stuffed a lot more image into the frame. Yeah, it really felt like those apartments weren't so small when they were in them. I mean, obviously they were sets, but yeah. And so it looked, and I, I I don't know enough about this technology, but my guess is it looks like the same way of squeezing in the image, the way that IMAX currently works. So if you watch Mm -hmm. like uh, dark Knight uh, on your Blu-ray, you're going to see it cut back and forth to having black bars on the top and bottom of your screen to being full frame. And there's no black bars. Yep. When there's no black bars, that's the IMAX stuff. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the big IMAX sequences. Uh, so this is the same way of doing like this is old fashioned IMAX. And I just kind of appreciated like this bigger image. It felt much bigger than these older fashioned uh, widescreen movies usually yeah, it, do. So I, I 
I want to somehow get back to that these days, but there there are times when movies try this where they're like, we're gonna give this small romance film mm-hmm. that doesn't have like set pieces, you know. Yeah. Um, we're gonna give it scope and we're gonna have it feel big by like shooting it on anamorphics mm-hmm. and it's gonna be like, you know, two point three nine aspect ratio and Sometimes that works, but you really have to pull off like a beautiful, big feeling movie. Yeah. And if you're shooting some fucking Noah Bombach yeah. talkie, and they're it, just in the like an apartment. It just doesn't. It feel doesn't right. fit. And so I I implore you if you have an idea to shoot big, give it a reason. Give there has to be a reason for it because I think it looks extremely beautiful and I think it does elevate good art. Yeah. But I think it can really make something that I'm not going to call bad art, but some, something that has like a more close personal, like more intimate. No, intimate's not the word I'm thinking of. Cause I would say this movie feels intimate, even though it's big, I would, uh, I want to call it like a, like a lo-fi story. Mm-hmm. Like if you're, if you're doing something like that, like match it. Yeah. Filmically. But I did like, a lot of these set pieces like on the boat where we see them against a starry night sky yeah. or like in the pool. Oh, the, I, I really liked that because like we are, we are on a set right there and I liked the camera work too, because mm-hmm. uh, especially that first shot where they're like talking to each other on the edge of the boat and we, we see like distant sky and it's just a big matte painting back there and a bunch of lights thrown on it. But the boat's rocking. Yeah. And they're doing a really good job with the camera to make me feel undulating waves. Oh, yeah. In a yeah. way that's not distracting either. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, speaking of undulating waves, Kelly, tell me, who would you fall in love with? Are there any circumstances in which uh, the two of you might be more than just good friends? The truth of it is, I loved you from the first second I met you. <laughs> but mostly I hate the way I don't hate you. Not even close. Not even a little bit. Not even at all. You have bewitched me, body and soul, and I love, I love, I love you. I know. You know, I think I'm going to go with Cary Grant. Oh, yeah. I was really thinking about Cary Grant's uh, fiance. Oh, yeah. Because she's smoking. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's, there's just something about a family man I like. Cary Grant is nice to his family. He's good to Deborah Kerr. I think once he settles down, he'd be a true love kind of partner. I'm going with Deborah Kerr. 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 Um, Kerr. 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 Because very rarely does a movie hold on a person's face long enough that I feel like I felt like I had that conversation with that person. Mm-hmm. And I feel like because of the nature of the way they made this movie is like, now it's a close up of Cary Grant. Now it's a close up of Deborah Carr. Like the Kurt? all, all that's happening is their is their dialogue. So I really got to look into her eyes and like look at this woman. And you know when the movie starts, I'm like, uh, oh right, King and I, and uh, yeah, oh I remember Black Narcissus, and like I was trying to like place her because she's not. I think as, she's also in a John Wayne movie. Actually. Yeah, because she's yeah. not as familiar as Catherine Hepburn or some someone like that. No. But she's definitely up there. She's, she's not no one. She's yeah, she's definitely unique. And and you're right. She I I feel like she's in a plane below like a Catherine Hepburn. Yeah. But um, 
It's like like I was saying before, especially the scenes with Cary Grant, I am here 100% for Deborah Kerr. Kerr. Yeah, and I was Kerr. looking into her eyes. I wasn't looking at this character. I was looking into her eyes. And this is the great thing about filmmaking is that I really got to feel like yeah. I got to know this woman. I got to I, know her. I just pointed at my eyes. Audience. I identify this woman. So, yeah, I did fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. Not would I. I did. And then I went How do you feel about her now? Well, um, you know, we're not really talking these days. Mm-hmm. I'm more with yeah, my wife it. now. Yeah, we totally. cuddled, so yeah. it's fine. <laughs> well, uh, Ryan, I think that brings us to, I mean, we already did letters. I think, yeah, we, I think we, we got to pick next week's movie. Let's pick at the 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 movie. All right. Give me a number between one and 163. 57. Just the year this movie came out. <laughs> Is it the Heartbreak Kid too? <laughs> it's Fifty First Dates. <laughs> oh no, we can't do that. We can't do that. All right, uh, let me let me pick a new one. Um, one hundred Hundo. Oh, okay, okay. Speaking of older love, we're doing Ooh. five five flights up, starring Diane Keaton and Morgan Freeman as an aging couple in New York, and they live okay. five flights up. Five flights up. All right, maybe is. maybe this one will surprise me. Okay, I, I had a I don't know why I had a little bit of a reaction in my tummy. <laughs> You're like, whoa, whoa, I don't know about that. I like here's the thing. I like I like a a movie set in New York. I like a Morgan Freeman. I like a Diane Keaton. I like the idea of this, but a lot of like Morgan Freeman being an old man movies these days has really been not super great for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, not since uh, the uh, the one he did with Jack Nicholson. A longtime married couple who've spent their lives together in the same New York apartment become overwhelmed by personal and real estate related issues when they plan to move away. So I can only imagine that deals with their relationship. Okay, well, do, do we have anybody to thank? Maybe we should thank our wives. Just thank you, wives. Thanks for taking care of our babies when we're doing this. Yeah. Appreciate it. Appreciate you. Can we thank uh, Cinemascope? Thank you. Thank you, Cinemascope. This, this week's episode brought to you by Cinemascope. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Just you. Ah, well, Ryan, I love you just because you're so thankful. And I love you just because you're so fucking grateful. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on the Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. Cary Grant and Deborah Carr is a car occurring. Car.